0: written by Ronald Keith Messer. This podcast is part of a series we call Poet's Corner, an appendage to a series of books written under the banner In Defense of Christianity. This segment is from Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen, Book 1, Canto 11, Part 1, Episode 33. Podcast 185 is entitled The Dragon."
1: In the previous podcast, we concluded Canto 10, the House of Holiness. The House of Holiness was the direct opposite of the House of Pride presented in Canto 4. In the House of Holiness, we meet Humility, Dame Celia or Heavenly Lady, Fidelia, Speranza, Carissa, known as the three heavenly virtues, Zeal, Obedience, Patience, Penance, Remorse, Repentance, Mercy, Contemplation, The Seven Beesmen, or Seven Virtues, Chastity, Temperance, Charity, Diligence, Kindness, Patience, and Humility. In the House of Pride we meet the opposite of those in the House of Holiness. Malvenu, meaning all evil to those who enter. Queen Lucifera, daughter of Pluto and Proserpina, King and Queen of Hell duessa, or duplicity, vanity, the evil brothers, sans joy, sans foy, sans loi, which means without joy, without faith, and without law, and the seven deadly sins, pride, idleness, gluttony, luxury, avarice, envy, and wrath. The house of pride promotes sin. It represents Babylon, or the world. The House of Holiness teaches repentance and forgiveness and the tender mercies of Christ. Ironically, the Red Cross Knight suffered more in the House of Holiness than he did in the House of Pride, suggesting that it is easier to sin than it is to repent. Having been purged of his sins and sanctified, the Red Cross Knight is now prepared to go with Una and fight the dragon that holds Una's parents captive. It is prophesied that the Red Cross Knight will become the famed St. George, widely celebrated in Christian literature. Canto eleven is introduced by Spencer.
0: Canto eleven: The knight with that old dragon fights two days incessantly. The third him overthrows and gains most glorious victory.
1: It was Una, of course, who took the Red Cross Knight to the House of Holiness, for she could clearly see that he was too weak from his time imprisoned in the giant Orgoglio's dungeon. He was weakened by indulging in the sins of the House of Pride. Now, however, the Red Cross Knight is a new man in Christ. Using Christian terms, he has been born again. It is time for Una to again be thinking of her parents, long imprisonment, and her original mission, which is to free her parents. Also, that was the commission of the Fairy Queen to the Red Cross Knight, to slay the dragon that held them captive. It was Una who saved the Red Cross Knight. However, she never sings her own praises, but heaps praise upon the Red Cross Knight.
0: High time now gan it wax for Una fair to think of those her captive parents dear, and therefore wasted kingdom to repair. Where to, whereas they now approached near with hearty words, her knight she gan to cheer, and in her modest manner thus bespeak Dear Knight, as dear as ever night was dear, that all these sorrows suffer for my sake. High heaven behold, the tedious toil ye for me take.
1: They finally reach Una's native home, a place of enormous peril. The dragon who holds her parents captive symbolizes Satan, and he has great power over the land of Eden. She warns the Red Cross Knight to be on guard all the time and always ready to give battle. She counsels him to awaken his once noble courage and even excel all that he has done before, that he can fulfill the prophecy that he would be the greatest knight of all the earth.
0: Now are we come unto my native soil and to the place where all our peril dwell. Here haunts that fiend and does his daily spoil. Therefore henceforth be at your keeping well and ever ready for your foeman fell. The spark of noble courage now awake, and strive your excellent self to excel, that shall ye evermore renowned make, above all knights on earth the battle undertake.
1: Una points to the tower in the far distance, where her parents imprisoned themselves in dread of the great dragon. However, she does find cheer looking at the tower, knowing that she is near her parents. On the top of the tower she sees the watchman waiting for tidings of her return, so that he can bring good tidings to her parents.
0: And pointing forth, low yonder is, said she, the brazen tower in which my parents steer, for dread of that huge fiend imprisoned be, whom I from far see on the walls appear, whose sight my feeble soul doth greatly cheer. And on the top of all I do espy the watchman, waiting tidings glad to hear that O oh, my parents might i happily unto you bring to ease you of your misery
1: they suddenly heard a roaring such as a cataract makes and a hideous noise so loud that it filled the air with terror it appeared to come underneath the castle it shook the ground like an earthquake soon they saw the dreadful dragon itself stretched along the hillside in the warm rays of the sun It was so large, it looked itself like a huge hill. The awakening dragon spied them, and the glistening armor of the Red Cross Knight that was so bright it filled the heaven with light. The dragon, fully awake, sprang to his feet and came charging at the Red Cross Knight. The light, of course, represents the light of Christ. It symbolizes power and knowledge. Like Prince Arthur, the knight now has on the full armor of God and is ready to fight the dragon it is clear that had he attempted the rescue before going to the house of holiness he would have been destroyed in the first battle as he was with the giant orgoglio who disarmed him with one swift blow
0: with that they heard a roaring hideous sound that all the ire with terror filled wide and seemed uneath to shake the steadfast ground if soon that dreadful dragon they espied, where stretched he lay upon the sunny side of a great hill, himself like a great hill. But also soon as he from far descried those glistening arms that heaven with light did fill, he roused himself full blithe and hastened them until
1: the Red Cross Knight requested that Una withdraw. That She will go to the top of the hill to view the battle in safety. He needs her, however, as a witness. This is not out of vanity of his valor, but as a historian who will chronicle the event accurately. Una obeyed the knight's request and safely distanced herself from the battle. Spencer calls upon the muses to help chronicle the event.
0: Then bade the knight this lady yield aloof, and to and hill herself withdrew aside from whence she might behold the battle's proof, and eke be safe from danger far descried. She him obeyed, and turned a little wide. Now, O thou sacred muse, most learned dame, fair imp of Phoebus and his aged bride, the Norse of time and everlasting fame, that warlike hands ennoblest with immortal name.
1: It is important that everything be accurately recorded, not out of vanity, but as a cautionary tale for others to study and learn the ways of God. It becomes a kind of scripture. Still speaking to the muse, Spencer pleads that she will enter his weak breast, that he may give accurate account of the battle.
0: O gently come into my feeble breast, come gently, but not with that mighty rage wherewith the martial troops thou doest infest and hearts of great heroes doest enrage. That not their kindled courage may assuage soon as thy dreadful trump begins to sound, the god of war with his fire's equipage thou doest awake. Sleep never he so sound, all scared nations doest with horror stern astound.
1: Spencer continues to call upon the muse to help him describe the wars that Britain fights against the Saracen or Infidels. He wants to describe the battles of the fairy queen against pagan kings, but he does not want to use violent language that will distract from the true battle, that is the battle between good and evil, God and Satan. He calls the Red Cross knight this holy man and refers to his armor as godly arms. Spencer sees the battle as a type of the war in heaven between Michael and Lucifer, continued on earth, here symbolized by St. George and the fiery dragon, otherwise named Satan.
0: Fair goddess, lay that furious fit aside till eye of wars and bloody Mars do sing, and Britain fields with sars and blood be dyed, twixt that great fairy queen and Paynim king, that with their horror heaven and earth did ring. A work of labor long and endless praise, but now a while let down that haughty string and to my tunes thy second tenor raise, that I, this man of God, his godly arms may blaze.
1: Meanwhile, the dreadful dragon drew closer, high running and high-flying, his huge body stretched over the earth, casting a wide shadow such that a mountain makes over a valley. When the dragon drew near to the Red Cross night, he reared up higher than ever, giant-like. His monstrous body was horrific and gigantic, made even larger by his fierce anger and his poisonous and bloody gore.
0: By this the dreadful beast drew nigh at hand, half-flying, half-footing in his haste, that with his largeness measured much land and made wide shadow under his huge waist as mountain doth the valley overcast. Approaching nigh, he reared high afore his body monstrous, horrible and vast, which to increase his wondrous greatness more, was swollen with wrath and poison and with bloody gore.
1: The dragon was armed like plated steel with brass scales that nothing could pierce or harm his body. He was impervious to sword and spear. The dragon spreads his wings like an eagle and shakes them so hard they make a horrible sound. The sound of clashing armor entering the ears of the Red Cross Knight. Even before the battle starts, the dragon is carrying on a war of intimidation. Many battles are won by intimidation. Spencer, of course, is referring to the tactics that Satan uses. He likes to plant fear in his enemies. Sometimes he is nothing but bluff. Sometimes, however, as now, Satan does come from a position of power, especially in his own territory. He feels very confident, for he has held even the king and queen of Eden in captivity for over four years.
0: And over all, with brazen scale, was armed like plated coats of steel, so couched near that not mote pierce, ne might his course be harmed with dint of sword, nor pushed of pointed spear. Which as an eagle seeing prey appeared his airy plumes doth rouse full rudely dight. So shaked he that horror was to hear, for as the clashing of an armor bright, so noised his roused scales did send unto the night.
1: Using the image of a warship, Spencer describes the dragon as displaying forth his flaggy wings like two huge sails driven by full wind. Even the clouds fled before him, and the host of heaven stood still, astonished at his threat. This is also suggestive of the war he once fought in heaven, where, with his tail, he drew a third part of heaven as described in Revelation 12.
0: And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and it cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born.
1: The image of the warship with full sails and a high wind gives not only a symbol of power, but of swiftness and of enormous size.
0: His flaggy wings went forth, he did display were like two sails, in which the hollow wind is gathered full, and worketh speedy way and eke the pins, and did his peneous bind, were like the main yards, with flying canvas lind. With which when as him list the air did beat, and thereby forced unwonted passage find, the clouds before him fled for terror great, and all the heavens stood still, amazed with his threat.
1: In addition, the dragon has an enormous tail, wound up in a hundred folds spreading over his armored back. The tail is armed with entangled knots suggesting deadly power. If you recall, the first battle of the Red Cross Knight was with the dragon. The knight foolishly went to the dragon's lair and looked down into the cavern. The angry dragon drew out her long tail and wrapped it around the Red Cross Knight, nearly choking him to death. Spencer describes the battle in Canto 1.
0: Yet Kindling Rage Herself she gathered round, and all at once her beastly body raised with doubled force, high above the ground. Though wrapping up her wreath stern around, leapt fierce upon his shield, and her huge train all suddenly about his body wound, that hand or foot to stir he strove in vain. God help the man, so wrapped in air's endless train.
1: A study of the Red Cross Knight is a study of the subtlety of Satan. In chiastic fashion, Spencer again picks up the image in Canto eleven.
0: His huge long tail wound up in hundred folds, does the overspread his long brass scaly back, whose wreath spots whenever he unfolds, and thick entangled knots a-down does slack. He spotted as with shields of red and black yet sweepeth all the land behind him far and of three furlongs doth but little lack, and at the point two strings in fixed are both deadly sharp that sharpest still exceeding far.
1: In Canto 1 the long tail of the dragon symbolizes deceit. In Canto 11 the dragon's tail is even longer. A furlong is 220 feet. His tail stretched over six football fields. It symbolizes war. It represents Satan's subtlety. To some, Satan uses flattery. To others, he uses wrath. and to others, he uses pacification, convincing them that there is nothing amiss. Here, of course, he is using wrath. Fortunately, the Red Cross Knight is wearing the full armor of God as the fierce dragon attacks with full force.
0: But stings and sharpest steel did far exceed the sharpness of his cruel Rending claws, dead was it sure, as sure as death indeed, whatever thing does touch the ravenous paws, or what within his reach he ever draws. But his most hideous head my tongue to tell does tremble, for his deep devouring jaws wide gaped, like the grisly mouth of hell, through which into his dark abyss all raven fell.
1: The wide-mouthed dragon has shark's teeth filled with corpses. Out of his mouth comes a cloud of smothering smoke and burning sulfur and horrendous stink which fills all the air. That, of course, symbolizes the mouth of
0: hell. And that more wondrous was. In either jaw three ranks of yarn teeth enraged were, in which yet trickling blood and goblets raw of late devoured bodies did appear. That sight thereof bred cold, congealed fear, Which to increase, and as at once to kill, A cloud of smothering smoke and sulfur sear, Out of his stinking gorge forth steamed still, That all the ire about with smoke and stench did fill.
1: Please join us next week as we continue the battle Between the dragon and the red cross knight, Or against good and evil, and man and Satan. It is a battle that we all must fight. Spencer is trying to teach us that the only way it could be won is if we also have the full armor of God.
0: Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.